What is the imaginal, and how does it differ from visionary processes? This is Katie Morikawa. In this post, I answer the question I've been getting ever since I relaunched this website. What is the imaginal? It is a good question and an important inquiry. I'm actually surprisingly happy with where I arrived in my understanding by taking on the topic. This, by the way, is part of the revelatory nature of the imaginal process, and one of the reasons I love doing this so much. I keep getting questions from people asking me, what is the imaginal? Or what do you mean when you say that? It's a good and important question, and I'll start with the vague notion I've been using, which goes something like this. It is an entryway into the invisible realms of truth with a capital T, into the numinous or transpersonal realms. But unlike visionary or prophetic access to these realms, it is malleable to a certain extent. It can be shaped by our creativity and imagination. We do not have unlimited free reign with our creativity here, for even as we shape it, it affects us It transmits its truths to us. It informs our art. With the imaginal, we do not simply access life's familiar realities, those which can be had through traditional knowledge, lived experience, or insight. Rather, the imaginal taps into a higher order of reality, but softly. Where the visionary stabs with shocking brilliance, the imaginal hints and reveals subtly, like a cat at the curtain. Where the prophet calls back from its farther shores, the imaginal beckons. I still do not know my own name for that country, but Tolkien called it the realm of fairy, and Jung the collective unconscious, home of the archetypes. To access the imaginal realm as a place and to partake of the imaginal process as a type of work, we must open the imaginal eye. This is a process with both psychic and heart-centered dimensions. I'll note, because we've become so dissociated from the heart in modern life, that the heart's vision or knowing is actually closely related to conscience, the little voice inside that knows what is right. While imaginal work is not widely practiced or known in contemporary life, artists do seem to refer to it when they talk about working with the muse. And in fact, my mother, that's her in the photo in the blog post, isn't she beautiful? (laughs) Came alive as I began writing about the imaginal at the start of the year, as I knew she would, because I witnessed her discover the muse while working on a video project in 2016. Her words near the end of that piece speak more directly from the heart than all of my thousands. Quote, When I stumble into the flow of creative mind, I feel connected to a great living essence that informs, relates, contributes, supports, nourishes my work. I appear to be working alone, but I am not alone." Interestingly, visionaries and inventors speak of inspiration in much the same way. 
It is similar to shamanic journey work, but in precisely what ways I am not sure, as the access and rules are different. I mean to dig into this with Jade Gregory, the Mongolian-American shaman I call friend. But the imaginal and shamanic realms share the notion, held staunchly by their practitioners, that they are real. That is, their terrain, their inhabitants, and their rules exist independent of us and our best efforts to control them. Imaginal art is not, principally, a fanciful way for accessing the artist's subconscious content, nor for outpicturing our private wishes and fantasies, although many skeptics see it this way. This skepticism is understandable, and I have, and sometimes still do, share it, because we are embedded in a rationalist worldview a worldview that I believe is responsible for a deep epidemic of loneliness in our world today. I believe we stand at the brink of the cathartic and maybe chaotic process needed for reintegrating the imaginal with the rational, and that this is one part of the eco-social crisis we face as a global society. I am borrowing the term eco-social crisis from my friend and colleague, Katie Teague, and I am buoyed by and rooted in the work about these times that Richard Tarnas and others have brought forth in powerful and moving ways. Richard Tarnas's Cosmos and Psyche is a must read if you're interested at all in any of these ideas. Defending imaginal art is not to say that we are all crystal clear mirrors. Not all of us create imaginal works of real depth and clarity. I do believe that anyone can access the imaginal realms, and this is why I created the Imaginal Journey with Nature in Seven Easy Steps, <laughs> which is here on the blog at katiemorikawa.com, as well as in episode six on this podcast. But going that step further to bring forth great works of broader significance for humanity seems to require something more genius, talent, persistence, and devotion, some or all of these, surely, which points to another dimension of imaginal work, that its power lies in both its effectiveness, the validity of its revealed truths, and in the resonant chord it strikes with the reader or audience. So, we who aspire to imaginal creation have work to do to polish the mirror, to get out of our own way so that our imaginal offerings can come forth without interference from our own personal baggage. There is also a place in imaginal creativity for intellectual rigor, as both Tolkien and Jung and Tarnas exercise. We must heat and forge it hammer out its flaws, test it for weaknesses. This balance of inspiration and discipline takes time to develop for many of us mystical creatives, <laughs> but it makes the difference between dabblings in a journal and great works of enduring meaning. Finally, we must develop and hone the skills needed. For me, this has come in writing, both as a received gift the writing of my memoir, which I describe in the article about Aaron, and it's episode four on the podcast, was such a gift. 
but also in years of ongoing practice to improve my writing skills. And it's an ongoing process. <laughs> For another, say, the theoretical scientist or musical composer, the skills would be those of their discipline. But I also don't mean to say that someone who doesn't practice a discipline can't create imaginal works of enduring meaning. <laughs> Maybe I'm just talking for people like me who, you know, we like to uh, hone and polish our craft. Mainstream psychology and psychiatry have yet to embrace any of these ideas but creatives, mystics, and psychonauts have stampeded toward them because they feel like home. Even though I hid for years, shy to publicly embrace my identity as both a mystic and a creative thinker, I feel quite at home here too. And I'm okay with mainstream resistance to these ideas. I am content to wait in the field of unity for rational science to meet us here. I am sure they will come bearing gifts, the fruits of their research, the scientific proofs, and perhaps the rational explanations for the power of this mystery. Which brings us to my intention for this phase of the project and my guide Aaron's hints about what I am, quote, here to do, unquote, which he referred to in the postscript in the Sirius's Gift for the New Year post. That is episode five on the podcast. My intention has never been primarily creative as it was for Tolkien. Instead, I've always sought truth. The mission to improve the maps we use for healing and fulfillment rests inside of that larger intention. But I think that I have actually been dithering at the threshold of a whole new kind of endeavor. It is now a full three weeks since he dropped that juicy portent into my lap, literally smiling like a cat, which he has never done in all the years I've sought purpose and meaning and finally surrendered to the idea I might never find anything other than purely personal and private life purposes. And yet promise that he did and I sense him waiting a tad impatiently for me to begin, while I have been lingering like a cat in the doorway. Weeks ago, when I opened my mind to his hint, an impression leaped forward that I am meant to do visionary and perhaps even prophetic work. I have wondered if this means I should be predicting things as both a demonstration of the imaginal and as an outlet for much needed information. The idea scares me a little, but I am determined to put this method through its paces more rigorously and to test it against reality and not simply to draw on it as an aesthetic complement to my philosophical inquiries. For now, I seem to have arrived quite unexpectedly at an understanding about the imaginal that I really like. It resolves my struggle with identifying just what particular territory or place we might be accessing, be it the etheric or noetic or shamanic realms. I see the imaginal process as a creative type access to higher orders of reality, orders of reality which in an infinitely expanding universe 
must continue to expand out in ever-widening spheres. These higher orders of reality can be thought of from a theoretical scientific perspective as higher dimensions, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth dimension, and so on, or unknown areas of understanding about the physical universe. They can be seen from an esoteric, a shamanic, or artistic perspective, or really any area which is unknown and theoretically unknowable at the present time. And so the imaginal is a stance and an art, and for me, a discipline, since I'm wired up that way, which is not bound to a particular location or type of question, just as the artist is not bound to a particular medium or subject matter. Perhaps there is a place called the imaginal realm where all imaginal works can be found, a great confluence of intersecting realities, creative works, and artists, like a massive art studio. And I'm including scientists and inventors and people like that when I say artists. <laughs> I'm using that term loosely. If so, it would be a truly stupendous, wild and magical, dangerous and haunting and brilliant place indeed, as Tolkien described the realm of fairy. Quote, the land of fairy story is wide and deep and high. Its seas are shoreless and its stars uncounted, its beauty and enchantment and its peril ever present. Both joy and sorrow are poignant as a sword. Ooh, strong words. <laughs> For now, I am focusing on the imaginal as a method which holds potentials for revelation and thus lends itself to grappling with mysteries. I look forward to these revelations in the coming months and years. Research notes. When I started this post, I did some homework. I looked up the definitions of the word imaginal and followed the clues. And I took notes from Becca Tarnas's work and looked at other writers. But I realized that part of what I'm doing is hammering out my own direct knowing and experience, and so I reserved these results for last as a collection of parting thoughts. Many dictionaries stop with the rather unhelpful and unimaginative definition, quote, of or relating to an image, unquote, along with the even more cryptic, quote, of, relating to, or resembling an imago, unquote, which is spelt like image except with an O on the end instead of an E, and turns out to be an entomology term referring to an adult insect post-metamorphosis. <laughs> Occasionally, the psychological meaning of imago is noted as in, quote, an often idealized image of a person usually a parent formed in childhood and persisting unconsciously in adulthood." Unquote. This rather dated psychological concept was later developed by Jung into his theory of archetypes. The whole evolution of Jung's thoughts on the matter of archetypes is actually a bit controversial. Nonetheless, it does bring us back to archetypes, albeit by way of an old-fashioned version of them in the idealized image of the parent. I liked what Cynthia Borjolt had to say, although I've since exploded some of the notions a bit. 
um, in a 2018 blog post, and she has since published a book on the subject. She wrote, quote, In traditional metaphysical language, it is the realm separating the denser corporeality of our earth plane from the progressively finer causalities which lie above us in the noetic and logoic realms. Put more simply, it separates the visible world from realms invisible, but still perceivable through the eye of the heart. The imaginal realm is a meeting ground, a place of active exchange between two bandwidths of reality, unquote. And one of the things I really liked about this was this idea of a meeting ground, which I was already sort of intuitively grasping, but just having it said with that kind of clarity just kind of helped. Um, I also really liked the eye of the heart because um, that actually um, sort of brought a bunch of things together for me. And I was like, yes, absolutely. That is what it is. That's like the lion's share of what I'm doing, but I didn't have language for it. So credit must be given to Cynthia Borgel for that piece. It was very key and pivotal. And without it, imaginal work is goes into very strange places. <laughs> Still, I felt like I had a lot of questions after reading this article, and basically they're related to the notion of the sort of location of the imaginal realm. And I know from esoteric studies that the location she's describing is usually occupied by the astral plane. Um, and I've never been able to get, you know, Jade nailed down on, is this shamanic realm at all where the astral realm is and I don't think he thinks it is I think he thinks it's separate and you know it's just confusing it's like you know my guide Aaron does, says that the astral and the imaginal are not the same place but that for us to meet in the imaginal that he has to have a toehold in the astral so it was just I just felt like there were a lot of questions. <laughs> um, but that's sometimes a good thing. You know, if something leaves you with questions that cause you to dig, you know, sometimes then you come to whole new countries of answers, you know. <laughs> it's not just the, like a little answer, it's like a whole country opens out before you if you like keep following that thread. Finally, of course, I looked at Becca Tarnas. She has spoken about the imaginal in many ways, but says this in her recently published book, Journey to the Imaginal Realm, a reader's guide to J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings. And this comes from the introduction from pages 14 through 15, which are in Roman numerals, <laughs> XIV to XV. I had to work that out for a little while. What is that? Um, lack of a classical ed education. <laughs> um, fairy, or the imaginal realm, is a domain that does not exist in a physical location, but that does not mean it is a place that does not exist at all, or is only made up or unreal. When you close your eyes, or when you read a story, images naturally arise. Where do these images come from? 
They exist in the imaginal realm, and we access them through the faculty of the imagination. Sometimes these images are fleeting, blurry, or ephemeral, and they are hard to grasp. But sometimes they can be fully immersive, what some call visions or visionary experience. We can even actively participate in them if we cultivate the practice or the discipline. This is what C.G. Jung called active imagination, a meditation with images that arise from the unconscious. Now, obviously, this is kind of a, a safe answer. Um, it's a little vague. Um, and she's also spoken in other places about the difference between, you know, regular ordinary dreams, which I think could certainly fall into the same category as where do images come from when you are imagining seeing something in your mind's eye. <laughs> certainly, you know, ordinary nighttime dreams, if they have a location, it would be on par with that. And, you know, she has drawn a clear distinction between those kinds of dreams and that kind of imagination and the kind of like, you know, really inspired imagination, you could say that um, Tolkien had when he, you know, discovered or created Middle-earth. So she's not quite making that distinction here exactly. So anyway, this is, this is, that's as far as I got on the research. And, and then I came to my own conclusions and I'm gonna be working um, with the imaginal in ways that are probably gonna like, you know, sort of push my comfort zone a little bit. And the, the main thing that I'm gonna be trying to do going forward is really testing in some ways um, and challenging myself to offer something in the way of proof. It doesn't all have to be proofs because like, you know, I'm not here for that. But I'm also not here to just hide in, you know, like my creativity and, you know, it's just my creativity and, you know, it doesn't matter what the source of it is and if you don't like it, that's fine. <laughs> so stay tuned for that and I will see you next time.